evening, everyone. Thank you, Elizabeth and Karen, for inviting me to speak here in the Agape Latte Summer Series. It is an honor. I'm very happy to be here, but also very nervous. I haven't eaten all day, so <laughs> just wanted to make you laugh, but that's true. Um, thank you all so much for hopping on Zoom to listen to me tonight. To those of you I am meeting for the first time, I'd like to welcome you warmly, and I'm so delighted that you are here. To my former students, thank you for filling up my little Google form. You know how I love to check in and get the pulse of you know, what you're going through, and I appreciate your responses. Know that I'm so happy to see you and I miss you. I mean that. Uh, to my Filipino family who are here to support me, maraming salamat. That's uh, thank you in our language. I hope that you are all safe and healthy wherever you are, and I hope that your loved ones are doing well too given this pandemic that we are facing together. I know I don't need to say this, but these are very, very, very hard times that we are in. Some of us have lost our loved ones. One of our dearest friends lost her big brother to COVID-19 back in March in the Philippines. And with her, we continue to ache for, for that loss. I still find it hard to believe because that big brother was here in Boston from December to January, and we had dinner with him twice and with a whole family and now he's gone so it's still very hard to believe so to those of you who have lost someone i offer my sincerest and deepest sympathies and prayers a good number of people around the world have also lost their jobs and their income some of you lost your internships your semesters abroad and i know you worked so hard to apply for those a lot of missed opportunities a lot of missed um, chances for deepening friendships for learning I think you will all agree with me that we are all hurting over someone we lost or someone we miss, something we miss doing, or somewhere we miss going. No loss is too big or too small, I think, and I just wanted to acknowledge that. I was doing the math and I realized that it's been five months and eight days. Can you believe that? Five months and eight days since um, we had that abrupt end to the spring semester. And in a couple of weeks time, we will be embarking on a new semester, new and unfamiliar in so many ways. I've been teaching at BC for the past four years, and my students know this about me. I love telling stories in class, and I love asking them for their takeaways. So tonight, I will do just that. I'll share some stories about how the pandemic has affected me and three lessons that I've learned from that experience. So don't worry, I won't quiz you. <laughs> I won't ask for your takeaways. Save that for the fall semester. Um, I've learned a lot these past five months and I'd like to share with you how these insights are helping me navigate my way forward. So speaking of loss and disruption, before I begin, I'd like to ask you uh, to ponder on this question. I invite you to think about three aspects or areas of your life where, which were affected the most by the pandemic. What were the toughest moments for you? Who do you miss? What do you miss doing? Where do you miss going? And out of those three things or activities or people or pastimes, which one are you still hurting over or still having a hard time accepting? I invite you to keep these in mind as I share with you my own response. If this were a whole class, I would love to hear your um, responses because I'm genuinely interested to know what you are going through. So anyway, here are uh, the areas of my life that were disrupted by COVID. They have to do with my day-to-day -day routine and one has to do with my summer routine. 
So the first thing in my list is the fun and ease of grocery shopping. I know it may sound like a very simple answer, but grocery shopping for me is a big distressor. It's a, it's, I associate it with happy memories. So I miss the fun of um, not having to fall in line, not having to keep an eye out for one-way aisles, because it was, it's been a ritual in my family. So when we were young, my mom would take me and my brother to this grocery in the Philippines called Unimart. And we each had our own assignments to pick out the products that we needed for the house. And our reward would be, as she would pay for the, for the goods in the cashier, um, she would give us money so that we could buy ourselves an ice cream cone in the food concession stands at the end of the cashier line. So um, obviously I don't do that now, but it's, it's something I've carried with me wherever I go. So I always associate that with happy childhood memories. The second thing on my list is, um, is I missed the chance of coming home to the Philippines. So I, that's where I was born and raised. I was supposed to teach a summer class in the Ateneo, which is the Jesuit university like BC, and um, that didn't happen. Coming home also means having the chance to see my family and my friends, especially those whom I've known since I was way young. Um, the biggest part of what I miss is my niece, Erin, and my nephew, Maddie. So my students know I love talking about my niece and nephew. They've seen videos and pictures. I, I might show one at the end. Um, but they are the greatest joys of my life, second and third to my husband, Joel, who's here, and my students, because my students know I love them. Um, and every time we're on FaceTime or Viber, when we do a video call, no fail, they would ask me, Ninang Mia, when are you coming home to the Philippines? Ninang means godmother. It's like a term of endearment. And whenever I hear that, my heart goes into pieces. It really is so painful when I hear that. Um, so I missed that chance. And then the third thing that, uh, that's in my list is um, my workout routine at South Boston Yoga. And this is what I struggled with the most and the longest. I don't do yoga, but I work out with a small uh, group under this trainer whom I adore, I admire, and I love. Her name is Stacy, And Stacy rents one of the rooms in South Boston Yoga. That's been her studio for the past 10 years and uh, my gym for the past four. It's not a fancy place, it's not Barry's Bootcamp, it's not Equinox, it's not Core Power Yoga, but um, it's one of the oldest yoga studios in Boston and also more, one of the more affordable ones. So because of the, um, the bootcamp, I'm sorry, because of the, the pandemic, they've had to close permanently and it was very, very sad. This was the toughest for me because exercise is one of the ways I practice self-care. I do it for my own well-being. I do it for my own physical, emotional, mental health. It's very important to me. It's a non-negotiable in my life. One of the areas of my life where I feel most alive is when I do my landmine squats, my um, deadlifts, and my Turkish get-ups, even if I really don't like that exercise. Do some of you know what Turkish get-up is? Ah, good. Okay, I see Hina nodding her head. I'm glad that you know it. Um, I can only do one side better than the other. Anyway, so unfortunately, um, so uh, where was I? Sorry. Okay, so it wasn't until the pandemic that I realized how significant this has been in my life. How did I know that? I knew because when phase two of the Massachusetts reopening plan came along, my trainer opened up her home garage gym and I jumped at the very first chance that I could to work out there. 
When I went there, I saw the lat pull down setup. So some of you may know this if you go to the gym. The lat pull down is um, a machine where there's a bar with a bench and metal plates attached to the to the to the backside. But Stacy's lat pull down system is not the fancy one. It's a makeshift one. It's a pulley system. You sit on the floor when you do it. Um, but when I saw that, I cried. I I was so surprised that I cried. Um, and why the tears? You see, the lat pull down isn't just an equipment for me to strengthen my lats and my core, um, but it's a symbol of how strong I've become through the years, how I had cared for myself through the years and empowered myself through the years. It's a symbol of what I had lost access to during the pandemic. I cried because I simply wanted my old life back. Don't we all? Don't we all? And this brings me to the first insight that I learned from this experience, the importance of making room, making space for what is. What does that mean to make room, to make space? It means accepting reality as it is. First and foremost, say hello to it, even if you don't like it. You don't even need to befriend it at first, just acknowledge it as being there. And don't try to solve it right away. Don't try to fill the void right away. Don't rush to fill the void. That's something I did not do. Instead, when the studio closed, I spent so much of my time and my energies recreating the gym set up here at home. And my husband teases me all the time, Mia, you're turning our tiny, tiny apartment into a gym. <laughs> and the, our Stacy studio at, the, at South Boston Yoga is so much bigger than our apartment. I searched high and low for um, equipment that I could afford. Name it, if it's on sale, I got it. The TRX, the resistance bands, longer version of the BOSU. The week before the lockdown, I was at Marshall's find, trying to find the cheapest yoga block that I could find. I was so busy soothing the shock, soothing the shock, filling the void that my workouts left by trying to replicate that at home. No matter what I did, I just couldn't bring back the setup we had at the studio. And this permanent closing caught me off guard and put my life off course. And I didn't make room for that. I didn't accept it as reality. I was insisting on a story that my workouts can only look this way. And to some degree, I'm still fighting it and resisting it now. That's a battle I'm not ever going to win if I do not make room for the fact that South Boston Yoga has closed. One of the more meaningful uh, phrases that I've learned from a book this summer is this, to learn how to rest in the unresolvable. To rest in the unresolvable. Make room, making space for what is, is to do that. To welcome the feelings that come with the unexpected turn of events. To make space for the pain, the discomfort, the disorientation. It's hard because nothing is more uncomfortable than that feeling of ambiguity, uncertainty, instability. But it's a part of life. And making room is to embrace our own vulnerability. My trainer always says that. She doesn't just say, go get a heavier weight. She says, feel your feelings. She's so muscular, but she always says, feel your feelings. And that takes courage and openness and time and hard work and honesty with myself. That's why I like to skip that part, because it's so hard. It sucks, right? 
and I did not take a moment to acknowledge the reality in front of me. I didn't want to feel the pain. I didn't want to feel the ambiguity. And therefore, I put a Band-Aid on it by clicking every ad that Google or Instagram pushed on me. I rushed to quick fixes to focus on the results that could remedy the situation ASAP. Of course, it's not going to be the same. It can't be. It was an impossible situation because we don't have the space for it here at home. And I didn't realize how expensive gym equipment could be. I tried so hard and I had linear expectations from a non-linear situation. Whether I was aware of it or not, I got fixated on this for months until two moments gave me pause, which now brings me to my second point. So the first point is to make room. The second point is here. The need to pause, to take a moment and dare to see. Pay attention to what's there. The first pause came when George Floyd was killed at the end of May. I suspect that many of us were distraught, disturbed, and angry at the nine-minute agonizing video that was so painful to watch. The words, I can't breathe, still ring in my head. And I read up about what it means to be anti-racist, knowing that I have much, 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 much more that I need to know and learn. I was very moved with this op-ed column that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote in the LA Times five days after um, George Floyd was killed. He said, racism in America is like dust in the air. Being Black means sheltering at home for the rest of their lives because the racism virus infecting the country is more deadly than COVID-19. Think about that. George Floyd's death brought me outside of my little bubble and served as a wake-up call to bother to know what was going on and to start thinking about how I can do my small part as a college teacher. The second moment that gave me pause was when I when I went on a silent eight-day retreat. I wasn't too keen on it at first, but I'm so thankful that I ended up going, and this was sometime in July. My students know how I love and practice, uh, how I love and take seriously the practice of seeing. Who do you see? Who do you not see? I always ask that question in class. For the first time in months, I experienced a much-needed reprieve at the retreat. At that point, I was in the middle of a major decluttering project at home, AKA cleaning up my mess from the previous semester, while attending online workshops to prepare for this, for this fall. And as you know, Zoom fatigue is a, is a thing, screen fatigue is a thing. So the retreat was a welcome break from that. It allowed me to turn my gaze elsewhere. And these are what I spent my time gazing at. So I'll show you a couple of slides. And I would like for you to guess um, what these pictures uh, reveal. So let me just uh, share my screen. So here are a couple of some scenes from my retreat. Okay, so if you can look at the, the two pictures, this one and this one. So can anyone guess? So go off mute and tell me. Uh, what do you think these are close-up shots of? The one on the left and the one on the right. The one on the right is pretty obvious. Uh, trees. Yes, thank you. So the, the, the picture on the right is a tree, a close-up shot of the tree bark. And how about the one on the left? Do you have any guesses what they are? What it is? Is it rock? Is it a rock? Ah, yes, good job. Okay, thank you. So from the title slide, I zoomed in on these two patterns that if you kind of look at it, they, they're very similar, but they're, they're not 
um, I showed it to some friends and they're like, oh, they're both tree barks. No, no, no. One is a rock and one is a tree. Okay, how about this one? Any guesses? What is this? What is this a close-up shot of? The road? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not the road, Rajay. Good guess. Who else? Is it water? Okay, water. Who, who else is speaking? Sorry? Is it sand? No, uh, no it's not sand. Um, it is this rock, actually. Do you see it? So I have um, another picture. So it's this rock. Um, someone said it also looks like a Japanese watercolor painting. Okay, this is the third one, and this is my favorite. I made it, uh, sorry, not yet. <laughs> it's too excited, getting ahead of myself. What is this? It's kind of obvious. Uh, I guess in the, the best way of putting it is just a cliff. Ah, no, it's actually a rock too. <laughs> on the shore, but good guess. Okay, this is my favorite. I, I loved it so much, I made it into my wallpaper and my phone. So you get a screenshot of my wallpaper on my phone. So what is this? Is it the sky? Yes, Megan, it's the sky. So it's actually the sunrise sky, and I, I, turned, I rotated the photo because it kind of looks like a watercolor painting, right? Mm -hmm. So these were the things in front of me that I turned my gaze to. And here are some more pictures of what I spent time looking at during my retreat. So look at this um, very old bark and the new life arising on the side. You've got coastal rocks. So this is in Gloucester, Massachusetts, the Jesuit retreat house at Eastern Point. And then look at the cobweb and how perfect and almost so beautiful that is. Okay, so, um, so those were the things that that I saw during my retreat. You know, I've stayed in that retreat house many times, okay? but it, it seemed like for the first time I saw these things again. I really saw them. Probably if you were there, you would laugh at me because you would see me just standing in front of the tree and just like doing this <laughs> and just investigating what was in front of me. This summer I've been reading a book about teaching as spiritual practice. And one of the insights that I learned from there was this. The word attention is from the French verb attendre, which means to stretch towards, to wait, to expect, to wait in expectation for something valuable. And my retreat did that. It gave me the space to stretch towards the beauty of creation, as you've seen in the pictures. It made room, so very much connected to the first point. Um, in my, it made room in my crowded Zoom fatigued vision. And it was like I clicked on refresh or re, you know, reload, the reload button. I stretched toward what was in front of me. My favorite definition of prayer is one from Jesuit, a Jesuit named Walter Burkhardt. And he defines prayer this way, a long loving look at the real, a long loving look at the real. And aside from the long gaze that I took towards the tree barks and the sunrise sky, the waves, the ducks, et cetera, it was the water lilies that attracted my attention. Four days, D-A-Y-Z. I know you use that as a hashtag in your Instagram accounts, right? And they were a surprising revelation. Why? So there's a pond adjacent to uh, the retreat house that teems with water lilies. And over the many times I've been there, I kept being curious about when they blossomed and when they closed. So I said, at some point, I'll do that. So this time I was able to do that. So over the course of the last three days of my retreat, I gazed at the water lilies. And here's what I discovered. 
So I put there, hashtag stalker mode for days. <laughs> so um, if you look at these pictures, so I started looking at this particular water lily from 631 and all the way up to 708. But believe me, I took so many pictures in between these timestamps because I wanted to see this. Can you all see my hand? Like I wanted to see the, the lily actually opening and I wanted to capture it on my um, camera phone, phone camera. And then I was like, this is taking too long. The lily was so slow. It was so frustrating. I was getting impatient and I was getting a lot of bug bites. So I was, I got hungry at 7.08 and I said, okay, it's pretty much open. I'll go grab breakfast. And then I came back at 7.49. Can you all see this picture? Okay, the last one. So it had more petals to, to show or to bloom. It had more opening to do. So I went back. 10.07, it stayed open. And then at 11.53, it started to close, okay? And so that was right before lunch. So I went back to the retreat, retreat house, grabbed my lunch, and was so excited to come back. I was really stalking this one water lily. <laughs> and at 12.46, this is what I saw. So the petals are closing up a little bit more. And I said, if it took about 30 minutes, one hour in the morning for it to open up, it most probably will take that time closing down. So I said, I'll just go to the shore and collect sea glass while waiting for this water lily to close. But then after an hour, I went back and the, the lily had fully closed. And I was so frustrated because I did not see this. So the next day, um, I went right before 2 p.m. because I wanted to make sure that I would be there for the closing ceremonies of the water lily. But notice the difference in the picture, the two pictures. This was Monday at 2, and this is Tuesday at 1.57. Now, guess what time the water lily closed on that second day, like, like this. Um, so can anyone guess what time it fully, fully closed? I kept coming back to give you a clue. It didn't close at 2 p.m., obviously. Any guesses? 2.01. <laughs> no, Jordan, but thank you. <laughs> no? Five. So it closed, believe it or not, at 7.05 p.m. 7.05 p.m. Okay, so I'll stop sharing my screen. So it's, it closed at 7.05 in the evening. Totally different schedule, right? Totally different from the first day. So this long look at the lily, unfortunately, it, was a, it wasn't a loving look because I got frustrated and impatient. But this story had so much to teach me. In taking its own sweet time to blossom and to close, I realized that it had its own rhythm. And no effort on my part would hasten it or would rush it, no matter how much I wanted to capture it on camera. The lily didn't care that I was there. It wasn't self-conscious as many of us are, right? I'm so self-conscious now. I'm still like, my heart is still racing. Um, but it was just unraveling its own beauty in its own time. So stretching towards the object of our gaze demands surrender and unplugging and letting that which we are witnessing unfold on its own. In the silent retreat, you 
you have a spiritual director and uh, you see that director every day. So I was so excited to report what I had seen. So I went back to my spiritual director and I said, um, I realized something important today. The Lily is not a robot. It wasn't on a schedule. And my spiritual director was so incisive. She immediately said, and neither is Nia. The Lily is not a robot and neither is Nia. The story of the Lily was a clear remedy, an antidote to what had been going on in my life up to that point. It gave me that retreat, gave me the space um, to learn about who I was when I wasn't thinking about it. That's, those are words from Pico Iyer, my favorite, one of my favorite authors. To learn about who I was when I wasn't thinking about it. In other words, the retreat gave me room to just be myself, just be Nia, no agenda, no self to fix, change or find, nothing to judge worthy or unworthy, wrong or right. Just me standing there, walking, sitting, talking to the ducks. When you're in a silent retreat, you find yourself talking to the trees and the plants and the ducks at some point because the silence could be tiring, but I love it. Um, and taking my own sweet time without anyone demanding anything from me, including myself and especially myself. We all know how critical we could be of ourselves, right? And just like the water lily, it was saying to me, the lily was saying to me, be like me, be yourself, take your time, just be. And so gazing at the water lily allowed me to gaze at myself in a deep way. So what do I do now that I've made room, or well, I'm still making room, and, um, and after what I have dared to see, what I have paid attention to? This brings me to the, my third and last point. I see that as a chance to pivot and update my life story. The chance to pivot and update my story. What I've made room for, what I have seen, now become ingredients I can use to reauthor, to rewrite the story of my life. A very wise friend of mine and of many of us here is Father Francis, who's a Filipino Jesuit. And he taught me where um, the word author comes from. It's from the Latin word autor, which means someone who originates or creates or makes something. But he says autor is more than that. It's actually linked to the Latin verb augere, which means to cause to grow, to augment, to supplement. It's like a gardener who seeks out drying roots, waters them well, and who ties splints to saplings so that the stems won't break. I, I've heard that some of you have been getting into gardening because of the pandemic. So this is probably a metaphor that, um, you can relate to. Sadly, I don't have a green thumb. I took care of a succulent in the beginning of the, the pandemic and it died. So <laughs> sorry to my students who love succulents because I know some of you love that. So note that um, in what I just said, uh, there's an element of healing, of reparation, of making whole. So a person who authors his or her story is called to be honest, to acknowledge the brokenness within, and to try to repair that. In other words, I am called to incorporate what I've made room for, what I have seen, what I have paid attention to, no matter how painful it is. And I'm invited to weave those into the story of my life because what I have seen, if I've really seen them, they become a part of me. If I've really seen it, it becomes a part of my story. I cannot unsee it. I can use what I have seen and what I have heard and realized to update my story. And isn't this what Jesus did? He made room for people in society who did not belong, whom society did not 
have room for nor make room for. Jesus made space for them, paid attention to them, stretched toward them, helped them arrive at new conclusions about themselves so that they didn't have to get stuck to be seen as one way, the blind, the leper, the sinner, and the story that they learned to live with all their, all their lives, that they did not belong. He was making it possible for the outcasts to reauthor their stories, and he did so by healing them, restoring them uh, their sight, their well-being, making them whole. And good, effective updates do that, right? They um, invite us away from, that, from our patterns and the sticky narratives we subscribe to about ourselves. And all of these insights, I think, point to what wholeness means. The golden life is to be happy, yes, but now more than ever, I think the greater goal we can aim for is to be whole. Um, it's not about being perfect because wholeness has room for happiness. It has room for weaknesses, for failures, for mistakes, for life's unexpected twists and turns like the pandemic. Wholeness is about pursuing and living according to what gives us meaning in life. And it's a much kinder approach that we can have to ourselves. I still have other suggestions, but I'll leave them for the Q&A because I, I went over time and I'm sorry, Elizabeth and Karen for that, but I hope you picked a lesson or two from um, the sharing that I gave. Thank you so much. Hi, Professor Cruz. I really enjoyed your talk. Thanks Hi, Ethan. Thank you. Um, I'm curious, like, what your results were from, I don't know, hearing from other people. Do you find, I know you mentioned exercise. That was something that I mentioned. I didn't know if you find that a lot of us are, like, dealing with the same kind of pains that you're doing. Uh, yes. So if this were in class, I would give you the results, right? I would give you the trending answers, as you know, I love to do. Um, yes, there were a lot of similarities in the responses that I got. And most of them have to do with, you know, the, the pandemic robbing us of good memories that we can create, um, the missed opportunities for travel, some have lost loved ones. Um, and also, I think the most common thing was um, the people missing connecting and reconnecting with their friends and seeing new places with them. Yeah, so I think we're all, though it's so difficult what, what's going on, we're all going through the same things, at least most of the time together, you know, and in a way it's kind of, it's strangely comforting, um, but also very, very sad. Other questions? Um, I have one. Yes, hi Mary Claire. Hi, um, I was just wondering, like, if you could try to pinpoint it into like one sentence, what would you go back and tell yourself on March 11th when you were like kind of worried and afraid about what was to come? That's a very good question. I think what I will say is, um, do you mean for myself or for my students? For yourself. Okay. Oh my gosh. So many <laughs> things are coming to mind. But to just, the first thing that comes to mind is, it will be okay. It will be okay. I know it sounds simplistic, but to, to really believe that takes a lot of faith, right? It takes a lot of trust, not just in God, not just in the people I love and those who love me, but trust in myself. And most of us, you know, need a lot of work in that, to learn how to trust ourselves, that we can do hard things, we can endure hard things, we have people who support us, who can help us along the way. And yeah, so I'll put it, I'll relate it back to uh, one of my favorite things to do, right? So I lift weights 
And so when my trainer says, um, go pick a weight, and I'll pick, I'll always pick the 20 pounds, knowing that I can do the 30 pounds, but I always am scared to pick the 30 pound weight because it's so hard to do floor presses and chest presses with them. Um, but she always reminds me, you can do that. You know, it will be okay, if, especially if you practice um, and especially, I think, if you, you know, make room, if you, you know, pause, take the necessary pauses. And if you always have that room also for hope that things could be better, even if they are hard now, it will be better. It will be okay. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mary Claire. Mia, so we have one question in the chat box. Oh, sorry. I didn't um, see that. Yeah. It's from Pang and Katie. So the question <laughs> is... Mia, I know you as a person who likes being in control. How do you deal with the loss of control or the unpredictability of this pandemic? Thank you. Thank you, Peng. So Peng is a, a friend of mine from grade school. She's a biologist here in Boston. Um, and Katie is her daughter. Um, so yes, I'm very, I like to control. My husband is laughing, look at him. Because um, I like to control things at home. Um, and my workouts too, obviously. Uh, but one thing that I learned from my mentor is how she um, loves the word influence over control. There are many things that are outside of our control, but there are aspects in our lives where we have influence over. Okay, so I, I, would, I would use that as a way to, um, to navigate you know, this, the ambiguity that we are being asked to tolerate every single day since the lockdown. So what areas of my life can I have influence over? What areas in my life can I still be creative with and be productive with? I know the other speakers have touched on this. Dan Ponsetto, Mike Serrazio, Miss Smiley, they've all spoken about the, the need to slow down. I think if you've attended these Agate Latte summer series, we've, we've all talked about that. And I think when we slow down, when we take those necessary pauses, they help us see better. They have a clarifying way of helping us identify the priorities. Some, oftentimes when we want to control something that's out of fear, right? Because you don't, you, it's actually um, um, a mechanism we use to protect ourselves from being hurt, from being abandoned, from being, I don't know, disappointed. But when, so, what I said about pausing, the surrender that comes with it, the letting go, that's a tough lesson for me to learn and I'm still learning it. But I think I know and I'm able to identify which areas of my life I have influence over and I'm able to work on that. And also one thing I would add to that is we try our best, right? Every day we try our best. But our best, our, our, our best, our best varies every day. One day, it could be a crappy best because you felt crappy waking up. The next day, it could be like an A-plus best, but that's your best. It's the version of you who woke up that day. It's like the weather. My mentor, one of my mentors says that that's not a problem. It becomes a problem when we start judging ourselves for feeling crappy, right? But when we know that our, be our best varies from day to day, and as long as we, again, back to what I was saying to Mary Claire, to trust ourselves, then we can be kinder to ourselves in saying, I've done what I can, not everything is within my influence, so know that I didn't use control, um, and we can just, you know, try to practice that a little more each day. I hope that makes sense, Peng. 
Um, so I was wondering if you had any um, advice or suggestions for BC students coming back to campus or even those who are staying at home um, this coming semester, like maybe what you would say to us as students when like we're waiting for our own metaphorical lily to bloom like <laughs> yes. in this pandemic what can we do going forward while we're waiting like how can we fill our time what should we be striving for what should we be considering right now thank you for that question um can i just say i love that you said you know waiting for the metaphorical lily to bloom and i just thought you know i've been teaching four years and it's been such an immense joy for me to witness each of you lilies especially even the ones i don't know um to to bloom you know i my students know i like to keep in touch with them so whenever i get an email especially this past pan, this not past pandemic but this summer about what they've been doing you know i i'm seeing that even if we're all locked down i'm seeing you you know continuing to bloom okay so that's the first point okay so my my second point here is to respond to becca's question what are my suggestions for life in campus so i do have a few okay in, in terms of the three points that i gave first to make room i invite you to embrace the non-linearity of life especially at bc as we know it it will be uncomfortable we'll have to wear masks all the time and you know by now that's not the best feeling in the world because we can get sweaty it gets it feels um restraining right that you're confined to a very small space so it will require a lot of us but we need to make room for that there's just no other way the way to it is through it and then the second in terms of my second point to pause and dare to see i'm not asking everyone to go on an eight-day retreat okay so because that's i know not everyone you know is uh it's not for everyone but I would like to ask you, and I ask this of a lot of my students, is to take the necessary pauses within each day. Um, I've shared a Google Docs with Elizabeth, and she'll share it with everyone at some point in this talk, because I drew up a list of the different places in campus, not just the chapels, but open, remember they're indoor. Now we have to explore the outdoor. So a lot of the spaces that I came up with my list is outdoor spaces which can function like chapels. There's a quote in that document by Pico Ayer where he, he defines chapel broadly. And he says, chapels are emergency rooms for the soul. Emergency rooms for the soul. And just last Wednesday, I went for a walk around the reservoir because I was so, you know, I was thinking about my talk. Have you ever seen swimming turtles in the reservoir? Ah, you have to go and check that out. So. Do you know Father Jim Keenan? Yes. So Father Keenan has a Facebook page. And one time during the summer, he posted his uh, morning walk and he took pictures along the route. So he said he takes gate C. I never even knew that the reservoir had different gates. So I said on last Wednesday, I will take Jim Keenan's route because he said that, that the, the reservoir teams with fish. Okay. So I said, okay, I'm going to look for the fish. And I saw something swimming. And I said, oh, that look like, looks like a blowfish, but it was like circular. <laughs> and when it came up to the surface, it was a turtle. <laughs> and then I went like this because I wanted to take a picture. And then it swam the opposite direction. And I was so sad because it was so cute swimming. Anyway, point is, there are things around us. The reservoir is free. You don't need a wife, you don't need Wi-Fi to get there. It's open space. So COVID friendly, right? COVID friendly. Um, 
the other thing I want to say is, so the, during the disruption, when classes were disrupted, um, I invited my students to come to my office, say goodbye, because I didn't get to say goodbye to many of them in person. And my seniors told me that they were so sad because, of course, they had four days to do the senior bucket list. I didn't even know there was such a thing. So apparently there's like senior sunrise, mod weddings, I don't know, stuff that you do. Um, and I'm thinking now, don't wait for your senior year to do the senior sunrise. Do a freshman sunrise, a sophomore sunrise, a do. I mean, these are things that you can do now. Which brings me to the third point, update your story. College life can't, it, it can't just be experienced in one way. We have to give that up. We have to make room for that reality. Um, and life isn't out there. Don't wait till the, after the pandemic to live your lives. Life is happening now as we speak. So live your life now. Make it meaningful for you as a student. It will be different. It will be hard. But it's something that you can do. It's within your influence, as I, as I mentioned earlier. Okay, so yeah, so binge on not just Netflix, but nature. I've always been drawn to blue and pink. I'm never a pink person, but lately blue and pink I've been drawn to. And I'm thinking, oh, the sunrise is blue and pink, and I love sunrises. So what are your favorite colors? Seek them out in nature. It's been proven. Nature can make us creative. It makes us healthier. It calms us down. Use that to your advantage. And the rest is a good place to do that. And there are many other pockets in campus that's in the document where you can go. The Pine Tree Reserve is another one. By the Newplex, have you been there? There are benches there, the pine trees. So I, I'm a water person, but lately I've been appreciating a lot of trees, as you saw um, um, from the pictures. And I can never see the tree barks the same way again because of the thing that I did in the retreat. But anyway, so that's my long answer to Becca's question. <laughs> Thank you, Professor. You're welcome. I have a question, Professor. Yes, Christian. It kind of touches on um, both your previous answer and also um, the part of your presentation that resonated with me the most was um, the your phone screen background of the sunset that um, was beautiful as a whole picture, and then you shrunk it down and tilted it. Um, to make it your your screensaver. I, I, I just want to um, ask you how you would recommend for all of us um, in the in the various stages of our lives that we are in to like tilt our heads to change our perspectives because um, I find that very often, at least for me, you know we, you go into college, you have a certain major, you have a certain goal in mind. Um, and it might be hard to, to shift, to frame shift and look at things differently. I was just wondering how you suggest kind of beating against that uh, trend. So what I would say to that is to um, resist rigidity. Okay, I know that's not easy. And the pandemic has given us many chances to do that, right? Um, I've been reading this other book on emotional agility, and I love that word, agility. We're being asked to be a student, not just in the classroom, but on Zoom. I'm being asked to be a teacher, not just in the classroom, but on Zoom. I never signed up for that. You never signed up for that. But it's something that I'm 
proud of every one of us because we've learned how to do that. You know, even if we were scrambling in the beginning um, uh, weeks of the, of the lockdown. So agility and openness to, um, uh, I know it's hard, Christian, it's, and it's so, it's so hard to do that. But, um, but if you practice agility, uh, I think it will open up more doors. It has to do with creating this spaciousness. When we're, I get back to, so I'm not sure if you've listened to this TED talk. I have a fa another favorite author, author who's Nigerian. Her name is Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Mary Claire, I see you smiling. Do you like, yeah. So the, she has two famous TED Talks. One of the first one, the title is The Danger of a Single Story. And I kind of referred to it in my talk. Our patterns in life, if you look at them closely, they refer back to the single story that we keep telling ourselves. I'm never gonna be this way because I'm stuck to being this way, which I, which is, I think it kind of reflects what Christian was saying. Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie says that those single stories, uh, they are true, but they are incomplete. When you reach a certain perspective, is that the last thing? Is that the final word that you have about yourself, about other people, about the world? No. If you create spaciousness in your understanding, in your, in your daily habits, and when you take the, I think the taking, going on a pause is so helpful here because it always clarifies up our thinking and our vision. And I think that's what helps expand our options, that it's just not one way of going or proceeding. You know this, those of you who were my students, the first reflection paper I asked you to do was to unplug for 30 minutes. And a lot of you said, um, how can I do this? I have you know, this homework to do, that homework to do. And then at some point you said, oh, but I'm thankful that I did this because uh, one of my friends posted this on her Facebook page. She said, sometimes the most productive thing we can do is to relax. Sometimes the most productive thing we can do is to relax, to pause, right? To, to stop for a while, stop being on overdrive, which we all can be and we are. Um, so, sorry, I hope that helps a little bit. But agility, I think, is key, knowing how to shift different dispositions and um, how work can look like online or in person. That's my two cents. <laughs> that helps. You know, one thing about that too, Christian and um, everyone, nature, I love being in nature because when I'm in, like in the res, when I'm there, I feel small and um, it helps me think and remember that it's not just about me. It's not just about me. I'm part of this bigger world. Uh, the rest is what, 1.5 miles, you know, if you go do the loop, but the turtles are there. There are cormorants there. You know what cormorants are? The birds that kind of go like this. I befriended one in my retreat. <laughs> I talked to them too. It's like, hello, my cormorant friend. And I love it when they do this because it's like they're airing out everything. It's like, come on, you know, it's like a rinsing, an airing out of like a breathing a breathing. And with the mask on, with the face shields on, having to socially, you know, this, is, this can all be confining, no matter how much distance we have with other people or from other people. But to remember to breathe, which means pausing, you know, that's, that's necessary, I think. And all this gives us a chance to um, clarify our thoughts. And it's good for the parasympathetic system too, right? Right? 
It's not the fight or flight mode. It's the heal, renew, response mode. Right? My neuroscientist friend is nodding her head. Yay, I got that right. Guess what? My trainer is all about breathing too. So I've learned that from her. <laughs> um, like you were, like you just said, it's not just about us, right? Like we're, we're helping other people grow collectively and playing a role as like we unify together. So what advice do you have for us to play a role in the lives of our friends or our parents and our siblings? How do we help, how do we help not just ourselves, but other people update their story? Mm. And, yes. And grow during difficult times. Yes. I love that. that that's it. That's my question. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I thought I heard you. One of my college theology teachers just did this YouTube video and I'll, it'll be a non, it'll be a staple in my syllabi from now on, along with other, with the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar op-ed that I mentioned in, in my talk. But he talks about vocation, not just as a personal thing, back to what Anne was saying. It's like the Father Himes three questions. Do you remember that? What brings you joy? What are you good at it? And does the world need it? Okay. And the world includes my family and my friends um, and other people. And this college professor of mine, and you've heard me talk about them, about him. His name is Sir Bobby. And he, he in that YouTube talk, he says, the question that we keep, that we need to ask ourselves is that, you know, at whatever point in life where we are, am I more free? And then is this freedom leading to the freedom of others? So am I more free and are others free, more free because of me? Because what makes me free makes others free. Back to my point, point about wholeness. What makes me whole makes other people whole too, especially if we take that seriously. What I like about wholeness is that nothing gets discarded. You know, your crappy days will count. Um, those imperfections will count. You know, the, the days when we cut class <laughs> will count. Nothing gets wasted. Nothing gets discarded because it all becomes a part of your story. And once, uh, once you really embrace that, um, and you, St. Ignatius would call this um, in, inner freedom or interior freedom, the freedom from disordered affections. They are affections because they appeal to us, disordered because they're not life-giving to us. And what life, what is life-giving to me can't be more life-giving to another person. It will always be life-giving to another person. One of my other um, theology authors uh, says it this way, the gospel, if you, if you summarize the gospel in one sentence, it's this, to make human life more human, okay? to make human life more human, not just my life, but the, the, life, the lives of people around me. That's why it takes a lot of work. Okay? And you know, like my husband knows, when I'm in a bad mood, it really pollutes the, the field at home. <laughs> you know, he gets so stressed when I, and when he's stressed, I get you know, yeah, look at him. So like today, today was the first time Joel went back to his office since February, since March. And I was resisting it because I got comfortable with, you know, seeing him every day at home with that routine. And then at some point he said, make room. <laughs> and I was like, please don't tell me that. Please don't 
<laughs> so see, I'm not an expert in the things that I'm, I'm telling you, but, but I'm learning it a lot, you know, alongside, you know, everyone too. So a good check is to, um, a good uh, way to approach this is to do a self-check, right? Not just with the COVID symptoms, but, um, but to, to identify what's freeing for me, because most probably that will be freeing for others too, especially those whom um, I come into contact with regularly. Thanks, Professor Chris. You're welcome. It makes room for, it makes room for the crappy days too, because that's normal. We all have our crappy days, but that isn't wasted. It's part of it. That's why I love wholeness. It's not perfection. It's not completeness. It's not finished yet. We are works in progress. For better or for worse, were there, was there a general, did you, throughout the whole pandemic in your second semester, I guess, including the summer, did you have a general feeling of connection with people despite not being with them or in person or even just through the typical, like, and I guess follow up with that, were there any, was it just the everyday thing or were there exact moments you knew what was going on and you were connected though you weren't physically with that person? Yes, um, yes. Um, actually, ironically, it was during my retreat. That was the time, so when I go on retreat, I go off Wi-Fi. Because I'll just be giving my thumbs a workout, scrolling Instagram and Facebook. I mean, we all do that, right? But during my retreat, even if I wasn't talking to anyone, I think just someone told me once before, memory is the simplest form of prayer. Memory is the simplest form of prayer. And I think when I remembered, when I called to mind the people I promised to pray for, the ones who have helped me along the way, my students are a big part of that. It gave, again, it was just because I didn't have Wi-Fi, it created that room. Okay, for me to think about and pray for and just remember these special people in my life. That's one. And then, of course, you know, we had a family Zoom just once you know, over the summer, my mother's side, the typical video calls with my sibling back home. Um, that always helps. My niece, Erin, um, and my ne nephew, Maddie, are also grown up now. But uh, yeah, so the typical technology helps definitely but um i think it was during my retreat when i felt that most yeah thank you you're welcome i hope that's helpful a little bit it definitely yes thank you so much thank you so um i just want to leave you all with um well first of all thank you for being here um thank you for your questions for thinking this through me uh, with me and I want to share with you what I told my students on the last day of the spring semester. So on the last day of the spring semester, this was on Zoom, and I thanked my students for toughing it out, you know, and enduring the changes, the unfamiliar world of um, online learning. And I thanked them because um, they gave me a reason to wake up. The pandemic was hard, but I told them, you saved me, you saved me, because, uh, knowing that I had a clear purpose every day helped me live through the pandemic. It's still helping me now. 
So I just want to say that my students give me purpose and I'm not the best teacher. I have a lot to learn. I'm very insecure. I have my own doubts, but it's because of my students that I keep doing what I do. Um, and I want to say to all of you, even if you're not my students, that I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud of you because you have had the courage to endure the spring semester. We will have to summon that same courage or even more for this fall semester. But along with the courage and the openness, I ask you to muster also kindness and wholeness towards yourself. Be kind to yourself, especially as we navigate this unfamiliar world of learning in school um, with masks and face shields and all. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for being here tonight. Thank you.